0: Hello and welcome to the Mick Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now, on Saturday 29th of May, the Champions League final between Liverpool and Real Madrid took place in Paris. If you're among the millions who watched it on TV, you'll recall that the kick-off time was delayed for around 35 minutes, I think it was. And this at the time was put down to fans arriving late. The reality outside the stadium was a world away from that. Poor organisation and questionable, highly questionable police tactics had led to a scenario where entry to the stadium was severely curtailed despite fans arriving in plenty of time and being extremely well behaved for the greatest part. What unfolded was a highly dangerous scenario in which thousands of Liverpool fans were penned in a small confined area in a manner that's barely believable in today's world of alleged high safety values at these kind of large gatherings. After the match, dozens of fans were the victims of violence as local thugs attacked some who were leaving the stadium and returning to their coaches and other modes of transport. Now, the experience was traumatic for many, some of whom had been present in Hillsborough in 1989, when 97 fans from the same club died due to wanton, some might say criminal, negligence by the police on the day. There were other parallels too, with the French authorities, including its Minister for Sport, initially blaming the Liverpool fans for what had unfolded instead of focusing where the real culpability lay. One of the thousands present in Paris that night was Liverpool-based broadcaster and film producer Neil Atkinson, who's host of the highly popular Anfield Rap podcast and one of the main writers behind the rap's online production. Neil, you're very welcome. Lovely to speak to you, Mick. Neil, the fallout from this, as I said, it's been traumatic for many in Liverpool, but there's also the huge issue of culpability and particularly the, the attempt to blame Liverpool fans. But just to set the scene, will you recall for us how things unfolded in, in the run-up to kick-off?
1: Yeah, the thing I would point out is, you know, I was in Paris from the Thursday, and this for me isn't a conversation about Paris. We couldn't have had a better time uh, on the day of the game. Uh, I was lucky enough to be on stage at a fan park that must have had, you know, in the vicinity of 60,000 attendees, which appears to have been, you know, absolutely perfectly um, looked after by the Liverpool supporters. There were some issues with the start time and some issues getting in to the fan park with reference to the French police, which ever so slightly set the scene for what was to come later in the day. But everyone was just having a great time, you know, and uh, we, we, we decided to um i i moved away from the fan park a little early because i thought well i want to make sure i get to this ground there was we knew there was a, a train strike in paris so we knew it wasn't going to perhaps be as straightforward as you'd like to get towards the ground i went and met up with some other friends and then we got the train to the station closest to the stade de france about a 15 minute walk away from the ground as per the, the signs that you get that tell you how long things away are when you're walking uh when you move out of a train station so we followed that we were stopped twice on the way to the ground with no explanation by the police. But they were they were smallish stops and you, you sort of conclude, well, that you know, they must know what they're doing or there must be some sort of plan here. But then there was a third time when we were uh held for what transpired to be over an hour, uh, with no explanation under an underpass so sort of underneath a dual carriageway that was coming overhead and, and with, with with um yeah with, with police fans sort of kettling the space in and making the space shorter smaller and smaller and we had no idea why to be quite honest with you and then more and more people were beginning to arrive from from behind and no one else behind has any idea why either and it it was it was a, it was a bit of a hairy situation um at this point and also, the other thing you're conscious of is that you're getting closer and closer to kickoff. You know, we got off the train at quarter past six. The kickoff was nine o'clock. But by this sort of stage, it's it's approaching eight o'clock. And you're just beginning to think, well, we're moving so slowly here. And you couldn't see what you were moving towards because it went, it was downhill. So it was on a dip. So you had no sort of sense of what was of what was to come next. You could just see a row of police vans that was going down. Finally, we we got to the bottom. Uh, of what that was and it was theoretically i think it was room for two single ticket checks with four stewards but by the time we got there they'd given up um, what it appears to be the case afterwards is it was one of only about three access points to the ground this which is just you know absolutely r- ridiculous as from a, from a planning uh, point of view uh, and as I say by the time we got there we didn't have our ticket checked so once we were past this point it's sort of the, the, the Stade de France is sort of close, close to a dual carriageway and I think that's sort of when we get past this point you're theoretically on the, the footprint of the stadium at this stage I walked around it's now about 8 o'clock I talked to a woman who was a fan of the Anfield rap as we came around the corner I got completely separated from my friends in the in the chaos uh, that had just gone before uh, so I had a little chat to her as we went around the corner and I began to walk towards where I sort of guessed my gate would be uh, I was in gate A I walked past gates X, Y, and Z, and there was people queuing in a sort of a, a railing scenario where they've put those those sort of three foot, four foot high railings that can sort of be tethered together and created like post office queues. The the sneaking away, and all those queues were absolutely full, but none of the the, the gates appeared to be open. And I bumped into a couple of sets of friends on the way around, and they were like, "It's mad, this. Um, you know, we're just going to try and get in the queue now because." there's no idea really what's happening, so we're just all going to try and get ourselves sorted. So I walked around into Gate A, and Gate A's railings thing wasn't open, and nor was the gate. But there was like a huge queue of people who were waiting for to get into the railings sort of part of this. So I, I joined that queue. Uh, at the moment, they opened that queue, and then they opened that gate. So I snaked through um, and got in which in hindsight was just a remarkable bit of luck because the other people who were around me in gate A, um, when I got into the ground, it was really, really quiet. And the other spaces that were around me in gate A, they only really filled up by about half nine. And what had transpired was that they then closed that gate again um, pretty soon after I got in, I think from the, what I could sort of establish from chatting to people. And it had just been the chaos, chaotic scenes that were seen everywhere on social media outside that takes us up to the game. Um, And I'm seeing, you know, the ridiculous statement that it's because fans are arriving late and I'm thinking, I've just been with all them. They're my friends. (laughs) They haven't arrived late. That's ridiculous. They were all trying to get in. Um, And then the next thing that sort of hits you within this is that ultimately, the Liverpool end is only about, as I say, it's about half full. So, people then begin to come up and no one really wants to talk about it because it was because of what they've just gone through but the messages are all coming through people are concerned about me family etc et etc cetera, et cetera. and then the good thing the one thing I would say for the Stade de France Mick is that it's got really good signal so we were able to find out what was happening as it was going and it was coming all the way through the statement from UEFA was was immediately laughable and it's part of what led to for instance the the UEFA anthem being booed by the Liverpool supporters when it got played even at half past nine when the teams came out. By then, you get the impression some of the players knew about the chaos. And the the next part of this is obviously the game itself takes place. And at the very end of the game, with about two minutes to go, the uh, riot police come to the Liverpool end en masse. About 200 of them, 150, 200 of them, come to the Liverpool end en masse. And what I can only really sort of surmise was a provocation. There was a desire for a certain optic, i.e. this is how we have to police these animals. And... Um, and it was there to to provoke a response, perhaps from the Liverpool support. Um, after the match, uh, without sort of mincing my words, it was the most scared I've ever been walking out of a football ground. First and foremost, we knew about the behaviour of the police beforehand. There was gangs running everywhere, but you just could not get off the footprint of the stadium. So there was one, me and the guy who'd been caught up in the, the trouble beforehand. Uh, we walked out and we we found at least what looked like a proper exit it had like an m sign in a circle with a number four next to it and we thought well this might get us towards the metro we need to get moving here we need to get away and also when you know you, you've just gone through all this you just want to get away from it as much as possible and your team's got beat you know what i mean i never want to be anywhere where we've just got beat yeah so we walked down there and that was another situation where it was it was under these colored lights and it was it was it was again another sort of underpassy thing. And then there was more police vans and at the bottom of this exit, there was a row of riot police that weren't letting people past. And I thought, I'm having no part of this. Um, so me and me and the lads I was with, we turned around and we walked out because I just thought, this is this is a nightmarish scenario. And it was there where Liverpool supporters were, again, post-match, because the post-match is really important, were attacked with tear gas and batons and pepper spray by the police. And... Um, in that space and also then picked off by gangs through the process of this um we went back to we walked around the stadium we we, the conclusion we drew was we'd probably be safest with the real madrid supporters which in hindsight because of how bad a time the real madrid supporters had as well was wrong but the very thing that you're not meant to do in a football ground which is go to where the in inverted commas enemy are we thought we'll just go by the real madrid end and we'll get this sorted out the people i felt safest with at that point were very much real madrid supporters i mean they just won for one thing so we made a beeline to the real madrid end um and that was chaos as well, and there was no clear exits there. Um, so we ended up just walking around the ground, and every single exit you looked at, every gate that could get you off the stadium footprint was padlocked. But there were people climbing it in both directions, some to escape from a Liverpool point of view or Real Madrid point of view. But also then there was, there was numbers of lads between the ages of 15 and 21, tw- you know, 23. who were all good climbers, I hasten to add, clambering over these gates in order to get on the stadium footprint, which you would just think was ridiculous. So these gates weren't keeping them out, but they were very much keeping us in because I'm 41, Mick, and I'm not a good climber. So the idea of... And also it's much easier to climb over something and jump onto a staircase that's going upwards than it is to jump onto a staircase that's going down because you could break your back um, so we kept moving around and we got to the area where we'd been bottlenecked originally coming in and kettled and we tried to get exit through there but because that had been set up as a bottleneck point in order to check these tickets on the way in it was remarkably slow coming out and it was being patrolled by very few police and roamed through by gangs who were looking for a bit of trouble on the one hand or for a bit of theft on the other. There was two attempts to pick my pocket that I got onto. Thankfully, it, what my pocket was not picked through the process of this. Um, and from there, what I discovered subsequently was there'd been some sort of issue with the foot of that. The woman I spoke to uh, before I got onto the footprint or as I got onto the footprint of the stadium, she messaged me the next day, DM'd me. Uh, and as they were leaving through there, they were tear gassed by the police. She was five months pregnant. Jeez. and she doesn't, she didn't, she had to go and get the baby checked, she had to go and get it all checked because she didn't feel as much movement the day after uh, as she had done. So that's obviously, you know, she, she was hugely really concerned. Thankfully, she, she once she got it checked, she let
0: me know that it was, you know, all was all right. And can I ask you, Neil, in terms of the tear guessing, was there anything that prompted the police to start tear guessing people? As far as I know, absolutely nothing at all, and, and not, there's no evidence
1: of anything whatsoever. It just feels as though there was a the response. At the fan park, they screen the
0: game. When you say fan park, because a lot of people wouldn't be familiar with it, is this a particular zone that's set up on the day of a match for just for the fans pre-match to to congregate or whatever? Yeah,
1: Uh, pre-match and and at times and during the match as well. So a place for for supporters to watch the game with one another if they haven't got tickets for the match. So there was about 40,000, 30,000, 40,000 people left at the fan park. Right. There... Uh, no talk of fake tickets, no talk of fans arriving late. After fa- as the final whistle went, the police began to indiscriminately tear gas people at the fan park.
0: At the fan park as well, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And what all of this is, is it speaks to, and this is why the, what happens post-match is as important, if not more important, and what happens at the fan park is as important, not more important than the the, the scenes that were brilliantly widely disseminated pre-match, because what that tells you is it tells you of a certain mentality. The mentality was that these people are a problem. These people are a big problem. And the way we're going to police them is like this. And ultimately, when no big problem emerges, although there were problems which were within the organization, the response of the police is the same. And if anything, it is. We've come we've come for this dance and we're having this dance, whether you don't like it or not. So Liverpool supporters, who were just trying to leave the fan park. We're getting tear gassed. Police throwing tear gas canisters over the wall um, of, of certain certain sectors and certain areas. The the use of tear gas and pepper spray as a, if you've got an issue trying to calm a crowd, the one thing you don't do is use tear gas and pepper spray. Absolutely. And yet that's what and yet that's what they chose to do. And it's it very much speaks of a mentality that was that was in in advance. And on last Wednesday there was the there was the Senate hearing in France where the Interior Minister and the Sports Minister said a lot of things that were just patently and demonstrably untrue when they were untrue at the time. Um but what the ultimate truth that underpinned it all, uh, that did come through in their testimony, was that this was a problem around controlling controlling subhuman elements. And this appears to be something that, you know, the, the French police gassed people, tear-gassed people over the weekend. There was footage that emerged, and now we see everything from a Liverpool point of view. They tear-gassed people over the weekend, of pe- where there was uh, disturbances around people trying to get access to a rail replacement bus, it appears, you know, ultimately, and this is this is something that, you know, I think you've got to be careful on precisely how you phrase. But Liverpool supporters are just one aspect here of what is a pretty dark story currently of 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 what's happening in in French civil society with reference to policing. We've just stumbled into this, and it's created a bit of an international incident that's pulled the spotlight on them. But that appears to be the mentality within that. The chaos caused by the really poor organisation, by the authorities, including UEFA and the Stade de France, has allowed a situation to occur where the French police, in that chaos, their only response, the only response they appear to have, is to go in absolutely two-footed and threaten the welfare of perfectly innocent people who are just trying to get access to a sporting
0: event. Do you have any sense, Neil, that the way they behaved and the way they set up was on the basis that uh, the fans were in the first instance from across the channel in England or even that they were from Liverpool? For instance, do you have any sense that they might have had a different attitude if, say, for example, Man City had been playing or was it all the one? Could could this have been a football team from, from Ireland, from Hungary, from, from Greece, from anywhere? Do you know what I mean? So on the...
1: England aspect I think on the Liverpool aspect no Chelsea supporters had a really bad time in Lille yeah. earlier in the season um, and it just didn't get much coverage I and mean, there's a couple of reasons why for that but one is obviously it's not you know it's not a global it's not the biggest game in club football with the greatest of respect to all parties the the other part of this as well is I, it wouldn't surprise me if when you say they're about Ireland Hungary, Greece for me what I suspect would be the case just, and I am just purely surmising mm. is I suspect they would have picked between any two sides who are the ones we think are going to be the biggest problem. If you know what I mean? Yeah. So if it's Liverpool slash Real Madrid, well they may well conclude, well it would be Liverpool. Um, you know, if it's but then if it was say if it was you know Panathinaikos versus uh, versus AC Milan, well they might have concluded it could be AC Milan, and 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 gone that way. That's that, but that's just me surmising because the other thing to point out is Real Madrid themselves last Friday made a statement about their supporters uh, and how their supporters were treated, their supporters were attacked, their supporters were 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 robbed. Um, so I think within this, what for me a lot of this is is this is a, a conversation around literally the organization of the event, even very down to the fact that it was at the stade de france um you know supposedly the alliance in munich were were more than happy to have it but it ended up being in the stade de france so you've got a conversation around the whole sort of organizational aspect then you've got a specific and a wider french societal conversation but to go even further policing around football full stop i mean i'm not going to act for a second day like the english police are angels there are some english constabularies who police football really well and there are some that don't there's 19 premier league clubs and i can tell you the ones i like to be policed by and the ones i don't uh pretty quickly but in a wider sense, there was trouble for Liverpool supporters from the police in Lisbon. Going back to the autumn of 2017 when I went to Sevilla, I had a terrible time, uh, which led to me being dragged out of the queue uh, at, at a time when they were kettled and the game kicked off with Liverpool supporters outside. One of the key things that is different, though, or could be different, is f- from an English supporter slash Liverpool supporter mentality. The supporters, sta- the Liverpool supporters stayed really calm. And one of the reasons why it was really frustrating to hear the testimony at the Senate is because ultimately it was still looking to apportion blame towards Liverpool supporters. And there was all sorts of pieces in the Sunday papers where there was all sorts of experts on crowds who were coming out and saying the reason this didn't become a full-scale disaster was because of the response of the Liverpool supporters. And that could just be a collective memory around, you mentioned before, around Hillsborough. It could be a... You know, it could be an English football memory or it could be a Liverpool specific memory, you know, and I'm not here to act as though, you know, it's one set of supporters is better than any other set. But what I do know is to go back to my experiences when I was in Sevilla, the thing everyone kept shouting when we were being kettled by the police in Sevilla was don't push, stay calm, don't push. And that was the crowd literally self-policed when it was being effectively bullied and harassed by the police. Because the idea was first you don't give them the provocation. And secondly, we do not need a situation where one person falls to the ground and they ended up they end up getting stamped on because because of pushing. And that's what that is what happened here. Everyone just said, just stay calm. The worst thing that happens is you miss a football match. And that was, you know, that was what was going on. All the stuff I've heard since from speaking to people, everyone just kept saying to each other, we've just got to stay calm. We've just got to stay calm. And they couldn't get into the ground. It could all have been so different, Mick, had that not been the response. And that is something that I think is specific and I think it is something that, you know, it wouldn't take much, I don't think necessarily, for this to become a matter that was resolved quite quickly with a full independent investigation, an apology from UEFA for saying the fans turned up late, and also an acknowledgement that the reason why it doesn't become a disaster is the response of the supporters in the Liverpool end, but Instead, the absolute opposite has happened so far, which is hugely frustrating.
0: Yeah, and you even have a scenario whereby, as you said, that was going on in the French Senate and and they were trying to point fingers. And yet in the House of Parliament during the week, um, I think it's the local MP in Liverpool, Ian Byrne, who had been there and he made it perfectly obvious uh, as far as he was concerned where it was coming from and where the British government should put its focus on. No,
1: very much so. I think that... As I say, it isn't just this game. Now, this game's going to become the big deal, but it isn't just this game. It is very, very difficult at times being policed on the continent uh, around football matches. As I say, that isn't to say that the English are absolutely perfect by any stretch of the imagination, because they're not. But where this game is concerned, you know, what Ian's urgent question was, was absolutely spot on, to be quite honest with you. And I think in general, there's... There's one key bit of learning from this in terms of what happens around getting the story out, and it's that through the exit, the entrances that Liverpool supporters were trying to go into, a lot of dignitaries, a lot of guests, a lot of sponsors were trying to get into as well. So what happened to Liverpool supporters, part of why it was documented so quickly was that it was happening to the the great and the good at the same time. What I would love to see, what feels like a genuine positive Course of action that the, the British government could do would be that next season for every European away game, it makes clear to UEFA somewhere in the crowd of normal people in inverted commas will be the ambassador. will be the will be the British ambassador. The British ambassador will come in with the normal supporters. In any scenario, he will come in. He or she will come in with the normal supporters. People from the embassy, from the consulates, will come in with the normal supporters. They will be present. And then from there, they will report on the on the treatments that they got as they came through, because I think that's one of the reasons why you know the journalists, a lot of the journalistic, the British journalistic response has been absolutely spot on. Uh, a lot of the worldwide journalistic response has been absolutely spot on. There's a couple of, of glaring examples where it wasn't, but part of the reason for that was that firstly those journalists had anticipated there'd be problems in advance, but secondly those journalists could see that either they themselves or some of their colleagues were getting caught up in this as well. Nothing helps as much. As the great and the good, the sponsors, the people who pay the checks, getting caught out at the same time as the customers, and as ludicrous as it might sound, to almost set up in inverted commas a secret shopper approach to gaining access at massed crowd events, I feel as though it's going to be the only thing that's going to act as a way home around this because this is this is rife. What happened on on Saturday in the Champions League final is an extreme example and a life threatening example. I would hasten to add, but. It is still something that happens on a pretty regular basis to what, and let's be clear about this, is just people trying to access a sporting event. In and of itself, the the, the notion, the rhetoric that you're meant to turn up to this sporting event two hours beforehand is absolutely mad. There's no other cultural or entertainment-based events where we say to the paying customers, and by the way, these tickets, the prices stretch from about €50 euro through to about €500. Euro. There's no place where we say to the attendees of any other cultural event, oh, and by the way, get there two hours early. Yeah. By the way, we need you to do that. That's really, really weird. If your venue cannot handle people turning up on time or even half an hour early for an event, then your venue's not fit for purpose. Your policing's not fit for purpose and your organisation isn't fit for purpose. But in football, we've sort of acted like, well, that yeah, that's, of course. And, you know, when I, it's good that when we started this, you got me to detail my own behaviour. At half past five for an event starting at nine o'clock, when we're in the city, the event is in, we thought, you know what, we better make a move here. That's, when you when you stop to break that down, that's mad.
0: You're not doing that anywhere else. Very true. I mean, it's a tiny example, a big Gaelic footballer hurling match here. You'd be talking 50, 60,000. You wouldn't go dream of going near the place till 15, 20 minutes before throwing. <laughs> like. To
1: know what's really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at
0: irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. Uh, one interesting thing, Neil, and i uh, just quoting briefly here a piece you wrote in the because I think this is really important. And it also shows the difference today in terms of when you have behaviour like you had with the French police, whether or not it actually becomes accountable. i just quote this briefly to you. Um, This is Neil writing The Guardian, I think it was last week. It helps that you were there. It helps that there were phones, cameras, authority figures. It helps that former footballers, friends of footballers, politicians and executives were there. It helps that Sky Sports are incredible in capturing it and the supporters themselves better. It helps that attendees of football events are now more middle class, better connected, own the means of production and know how to depict what happens to them in real time. That is crucial, isn't it, Neil, to the extent that if, for example, this happened 20 years ago, as it did in many places, the the, the script being put out there by the authorities, the capacity to suppress the real story and what happened would be infinitely greater. It
1: would, but what I would say, you know, I'm glad I wrote that and I phrased it that way and it was quite nice when you read it back to me, Mick, but what I would say is it didn't stop them, it didn't stop quite literally the French Interior Minister from arguing with those documented facts on Wednesday. And, and it didn't stop, you know, because of the way in which we report news across the way in which news is discussed and reported, it didn't then stop all formulation being the first sentence giving him the authority of being the interior minister in the reports, i.e., the interior minister of the of, of, of the French government has stated that Liverpool supporters did X, Y and Z before the game uh, in the Champions League final. And then in para three and para four, we begin to get closer to the actual fact of the scenario. But because of the way in which effectively news is taught to be reported in so many ways, you know, when whether it's on the one hand, somewhat a figure like Donald Trump or whether it's someone else, because para one is always the authority version of events the other version of events then that the more the accurate ver- the, the version of events that the person who's writing the piece knows is true comes to the comes later on in the piece that's why it was dangerous and it remains dangerous listen i d- there was lots of bits of being and away support i love being back in grounds this year the only thing that drove me mad was it felt as though we were a lot closer to a lot more chance that were about hillsborough in grounds and I felt it was dangerous and regrettable, to say the least, that BT Sport in the UK went with the, the official UEFA version of events in an uncritical line for the first 20 or 30 minutes of this of this situation, despite what was on social media, despite what Kelly Cates was saying, despite what was out there from the Sky Sports News journalists. BT Sport backed the UEFA position, and they haven't apologised for that either. They've, they've backtracked from it, but they haven't said we were, we were bang wrong to do that. Uh, and I'm sure there's all sorts of reasons they've got for that around the fact that they are the rights holder in the in in the United Kingdom. But this is the problem. So, yeah, it does it. It couldn't help more. you know, But even with that version of events out there, you still have, A, the reportage, and, B, the Interior Minister being able to do that. But as I went on to discuss in my piece as well, one of the things about this, about when we get to see police be like this, it's always a massive shock. Ultimately now... To go back to the price of those tickets, Liverpool's crowd is a mix of working class and middle class people. The idea that all football supporters are, are hewn salt of the earth working class people, it's a thing of the past. But one of the things that happens there, and one of the things that happens when you go on European aways, is you discover what it's like to not be policed as a middle class white person. You discover what it, what society, how society works for other groups, and certainly as a middle class white man, you know. Recently, there's the controversy around the Sever Everard vigil with the Metropolitan Police in London. Again, let's not act as though our own police forces are all uh, are all wonderful, and it's 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 some sort of swarthy continental issue. This is this couldn't be further from the truth. And if we do that, we're actually playing from the same playbook that they're trying to play from in France, you know. Up and all over Western democracies. My point here isn't is in other places. All over Western democracies, we know and have known in the recent past examples of where communities are pretty consistently policed in a way, which is that they are they are not policed with consent. They are policed by force. They are controlled by police forces, and. In general, I don't quite know what where the answer is to this now because it feels as though this is a situation that's been allowed to get out of control in a large number, again, I'll say it again, of Western democracies, of uh, in a large number of places that the notion of police by consent has absolutely gone west there's obviously very recent history and by very recent, I'm, you know, my degree was in history, so when I say very recent I mean 50, 60 years. There's a a very recent history, for instance, of issues on the island of Ireland you know, where where one community was policed massively different to the other community. We know that that happened and there's documentary evidence, but the problem is that at the time when that, that happens, even now even in the age of camera phones the authority version of events still gets precedence, at least for a period of time. And while we can't trust the authority version of events which i think we can say with 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 a certain amount now of of certainty we can't trust UEFA as an example they feel to me as though a body that if it isn't outwardly and clearly corrupt has massive issues in terms of their communications and their approach to many matters so we can't trust UEFA and yet they are given the authority role, they are given the point of first contact, they are given this position. And you wait for one example, when we do it with police forces, it doesn't take much time to think about, you know, um, to, to think about uh, 2005 with the Metropolitan Police and and Jean-Charles de Meneses. You know, there's lots of examples, Ian Tomlinson, of, of times where the police still are given this, this idea that, well, you can trust them, or they'll give you the version of events, and there's endless evidence that that is just simply not the case. And I think that within that, that's that for me, this is why this goes wider than just a UEFA question or a Saturday question, but obviously it becomes part of it. But it, what it does to me when I am police like this is it puts it to the forefront of my mind. I'm very, very fortunate to be, broadly speaking, middle class and white living in Liverpool when so many people up and down the country, this country and countries that do theoretically have democratic processes, do not have the same luxuries and privileges that I have.
0: Absolutely, and that's a very good point, actually. And and all of us, even within cities, our own, our own localities, as you say, policing, even in the small context, is very differently done in some sections than in others. And this is a glimpse for, I have been the same boat as yourself, a glimpse for those of us who are middle class into that scenario. Do you think there's anything, Neil, in the changing um, political temperature in Europe in general? Nationalism is on the rise. We've seen that through Brexit, through Le Pen in France. We've seen it various places. There's a, a certain right wing populism that's rise. Is any of that feeding into this atmosphere, in your opinion, and and feeding into police forces, or is it something? No, I think I think it,
1: I think it is. I think I think it's there, but I think it's always been there within police forces in general. I think there's all. That, I think that you know that that's nothing new. I think within this part of why I'm I'm being very careful in terms of language around what went on with reference to gangs around the Stade de France is because there's, there is a desire even within this for there to be a nationalist response um, around the, the sort of the, the provenance of those gangs. For me, you know, my analysis... Unsurprisingly, will 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 stem to a, to a large degree from a class perspective, i.e., uh, if you create ghetto situations where young people don't have opportunities, then of course you're going to if there's moments of chaos, they're going to look to try and profit on that because, frankly, they've got absolutely nothing to lose. That would be my analysis within that in the first place. But that's why we've got to be careful about precisely who we make common cause with around this. There was an excellent piece by Dan Austin who's done a lot of good work around this in the Metro, where he said, you know, there's some Liverpool supporters who, if they're not careful, who would be parroting. Sort of far right groups because of their opposition to the French police around this matter. You know, I'm not saying that any of this is easy far from it. I actually think it's really really complicated. But we have allowed, I think, in a number of different ways, and there's the analysis analyses of these across uh, across lots of different democracies, which have lots of different sort of contextual setups. But we have allowed a situation where every single police force and arguably every single, for want of a better word, interior or home office ministry, the first thing they want to do is batten down the hatches. No one wants to learn. We've managed to create a situation where learning is actually deemed to be bad um, in the you know in the, in the review points because nobody wants to ever admit uh, a moment's wrongdoing for a variety of reasons. As I say, if in Le Senat on, on, on Wednesday, if the interior minister had, had come out and said, you know, this didn't go great, lessons need to be learned, these are our starting points, Liverpool supporters acted brilliantly under the circumstances, we will be having a full investigation, pulling our learnings together, then I think the response would just have been hugely different from Liverpool supporters at the very least. What I would say is that, you know, in that that hearing, there was a lot of cross-questioning, which made it crystal clear that, you know, that version of events wasn't going to be accepted. In general, the French people... You know, this This argument is not between people in Liverpool and the French people. Quite the opposite. The French people are hugely sceptical of the official version of events and actually feel as though this is a bit of an embarrassment for France. If On the off chance any of them are listening to that, I'd say it isn't. It's an embarrassment for this French government. We can't divide people from one another. You know, we we have to... The big thing that I've been trying to hold on to is... I had a lovely uh, Thursday, Friday and Saturday in Paris. I really did. You know the Parisians couldn't have made us more welcome, and there was lots of reasons, given the fact that we closed a road to put this fan park in place, where the people around that road might have been quite grumpy, and instead they were dancing in the streets listening to the music that was getting played out from the fan park. The point about all of this is, and this is the democratic deficit and it is where the policing comes in in so many of our democracies. It does feel as though there is a substantial difference now from the poll between that democratic process, the politicians themselves, the media that surrounds the, the political process and the people, all of that now does seem to be separate. And it's why it's really, really important that we don't fall into the trap of going us against them. It is not us against, you know, it is not us against them on divide and national lines. The only us against them. And even there, you know, I'm loathe to turn into a constant cynic around, around politicians themselves, however much, you know, Keir Starmer might wire me up. I am loath to to do that because ultimately the only thing that gets us out of the pit of so much of this stuff is is believing until the point that we can't, that people are acting in good faith. What makes this really difficult, this, this, this issue, is that UEFA, with their first statement and the fact that they still haven't apologised for it, the French authorities and the French police, it's exceptionally difficult to believe that they're acting in good faith and the first job, I think, of those organisations now is to get back to a point that we can believe that they're acting in good faith, and then what they'd find is actually a large number of people who just want to collaborate with them and make things better. There's no, there's, there's no obvious recourse. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I'll be proven wrong, but there's no obvious recourse. What you want to give people the ticket money back? I mean, you know, the vast majority of us still got to watch a football match. The, you know, listen, I, wouldn't say no to 150 euros in my bank accounts, but the, the truth of the matter is the the finals much greater than that and the experience was somewhat robbed from me because of all of this and it it was it was in to a much greater extent robbed from many others you know, some people might feel as though there is a financial recourse or recompense that could that could make up for that. And if if that's the case, all the best to them. What I would quite like is, I I love Liverpool. I love the city of Liverpool and I love Liverpool Football Club and I think we're going to be in three more Champions League finals under Jurgen Klopp. And what I'd quite like is to believe that when I go to them, I will be safe and I will be treated as a customer, first and foremost. That's what I want. That's
0: my recompense. The next time I go to a Champions League final, I want the red carpet rolling out. Finally, Neil... Um it was another major incident around the football matches, you say, and it had nothing to do with the football supporters, but there, there, were, there were images there, for example, even of children being tear-gassed. Um, I think there was w- w- one child there was quoted saying he didn't want to go to a football game again. Broader context, you look at the corruption in UEFA and FIFA we've seen in recent years. You look at the likes of the Saudi Arabian takeover in Newcastle, Qatar hosting the World Cup, the money in the game... Is football in any danger of becoming a pariah sport for younger generations?
1: I think, in general, there's an access point for younger generations, both in terms of tickets and also where it is, or isn't. Screens, how you actually see football, um, is remains, I think, a, a thing for it to work out. But ultimately, you know, and, and again, in the same way, I just had a fantastic year following Liverpool. I've said before, I didn't. There's certain grounds I didn't enjoy being in for, for, for a variety of reasons. But those young people were at that match because they've been swept along. You know, the parade the day after five hundred thousand people came onto the streets of Liverpool, and it was full of families. It was full of children. It was full of people of colour, people you often don't see uh, at Liverpool matches, to be honest with you. And those people were there, and those people were there because they're in love with a football team that represents a city brilliantly, and it remains football, I think, the the best representation in. In England uh, and in many uh, European and South American, especially um, places, the best representation of a notion of of civic pride. That's immensely valuable and that's not going anywhere anytime soon. What I would say is that football's got to be very, very, very careful that it doesn't create a situation for itself where it, it turns a huge number of people off. By virtue of making itself deeply unpleasant with these issues that you talk about, but even the Newcastle thing is, as an example, I've got I despise sports washing and football and couldn't condemn the couldn't condemn the Saudi Arabian regime anymore. And I really, really wish that Newcastle United hadn't got themselves into a situation where they were accepting Saudi Arabian money. But the flip side of that is that Mike Ashley should never have been allowed to own Newcastle. And it's easy for me to say, sat here. Uh, condemn those people have nothing to do with them. When they're saying they're going to invest in the city, and they're also saying they're going to invest in the football team, and you've just had however many years it was of Mike Ashley doing the absolute opposite on both counts, and instead treating it as an absolute cash cow and effectively laughing in the face of his customers. This is this is you know understanding that this stuff isn't it isn't it isn't black and white. I think is also important for football, but I think building structures that first and foremost, place the integrity of the game and what we want the game to be and what supporters say they want the game to be at the very least and ensuring those structures can withstand assault from a combination of dreadful policing on the one hand to Saudi Arabian blood money on the other is really, really important for the game and that to me is the answer Structural solutions are needed to football's many, many problems. But what we can't do is simultaneously act as though all football is, is problems because given the amount of people all over the world who play, watch, attend... Football matches. who love the game, who want to play the game more, who want more access to pitches and more access to facilities. If you're not careful by only focusing on football's problems, you actually become and sound like you're a little bit tone deaf to the fact that it remains the game that the world plays. There is a reason why Qatar, UAE and Saudi Arabia want in on football. And by not acknowledging that reason, by simply focusing on the problems, what we actually do is we
0: limit our ability to find solutions to how we protect the game. A very good point, very good way of finishing and as you say, the beauty is there no matter how much they might try to tarnish it. Neil Atkinson, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. That's it for today, folks. I'd also like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon, and we'll talk to you again very soon. See you then.